Well, this morning we will be opening our Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them, or you can find it in the Pew Bible on page 892. But as has been customary during our sermon series uh, this time around, we're going to begin again by hearing our, for our foundational passage from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And again, we keep looking at this passage because more than anything else, it shares the overwhelming heart of Jesus towards us. And so I want to read this passage, and then I want to read the words of Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan writer who contemplated much on the weight of what this passage means. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what Thomas Goodwin says in his book, The Heart of Christ, about this passage. He says, I have chosen this text as that which above any other speaks his heart most and sets out the frame and workings of it towards sinners. And that so sensibly that it does, as it were, take our hands and lay them upon Christ's breast and let us feel how his heart beats and his affections yearn toward us, even now as he is in glory. The very scope of the words being manifestly to encourage believers against all that may discourage them from the consideration of Christ's heart toward them now in heaven. I honestly don't know that it could be said with any more beauty or conviction than that. And that is why we keep that passage ever before us as we go through our series of understanding what it is, how Jesus understands us, how he gets us. We must be reminded of his heart toward us because he experienced humanity in every scope as we have. We've seen him wrestle with his anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane. We've explored how he fought isolation for 40 days in the wilderness. We saw his struggle in the waiting and seeing his friend Lazarus raised from the dead. Jesus' heart is ever towards us because he gets us. He has experienced every experience that we could possibly experience in our own weakness and humanness. And so today, let us turn to our passage in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, as we once again see how Jesus experiences our weaknesses as we do. 
And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down a cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in the hearing of this passage, we we get it. And we know that you get it. We see that you were rejected by your own. And we too have been rejected. And in our rejection, we have felt dejection, overwhelm, sadness. But Lord, in the hearing of this passage today, let us be encouraged knowing that you, our Savior and our Lord, understand us, get us, have heard us in our cries. And so let us come to you, knowing who you are, and let this word speak tenderly to our hearts, speak boldly to us as well, in the places where we need to be reminded who it is that we represent in our comings and in our goings. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we hear this story of Jesus being rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, among his own neighbors and friends. How much do we resonate with this? I can tell you that it strikes me deep in my heart to feel and know this same rejection. I mean, I could easily go back to my childhood 
My entire childhood, I was bullied. I was the one marked with rejection. I was the one that every neighbor rebuked, every friend tossed aside. In fact, I would say that my memories of my childhood were marked more times by rejection than acceptance. I remember all the times that I didn't get selected to play on the playground in kickball or soccer games during recess. I remember not making the elementary school chorus because I wasn't good enough. I don't blame them for that one. And yet I still remember that rejection like it was yesterday. I remember the nose that circled by girls in past notes in middle school. Will you go to the school dance with me? No. And I remember all my classmates and every class along the way that didn't want to accept me into their circles, invite me into their homes, make me feel like I belonged. That's just my childhood. I could talk about the rejections that I faced as an adult. Rejections that because of my past, the experiences that I had have not made me the greatest of person at times when I feel rejected. And maybe, like me, you've experienced that rejection in childhood and it still affects you to this day, but maybe your rejections are more recent. Maybe you feel rejected simply when somebody disagrees with you. You expect them to think the same way that you do. You want them to agree with everything that you say, and yet they disagree, and so you feel like they have rejected a part of you. Maybe you feel rejected when you share something very exciting, something that you are passionate and in love about, and you share it with somebody, and they just kind of don't respond with the same enthusiasm you have. They haven't met you in your same emotional excitement, and so you feel rejected. Maybe you feel rejected when a close friend tells you that they need time and space. That they just can't deal with it right now that they don't want to talk to you, they don't want to see with you, they don't want to connect with you. And maybe that's a rejection that hurts the most. And maybe you feel rejected when you try to share the good news of your faith, of Jesus Christ to your neighbor, and they don't want to receive it. What a hard rejection that might push us away from the very thing that we are called to. But the truth is, we are rejected every day. And some of them bounce off, they just glance off of us as if it was nothing. But some affect us deeply, they cut deeply and they last. Those rejections, they're hard. Oftentimes, we take them personally. We end up with an aversion to rejection that causes us to act in ways that 
we might normally might not normally react. I, in my own experience, couldn't understand how someone that I had both loved and cared for could also reject me so deeply. And yet, rejection is something that has brought me healing in ways that I could never comprehend. But it is that when the world rejects you, when the world rejects me, that I find my deepest yearning for acceptance in the one that will never reject me. And so let us look at this story today in Luke chapter 4 and see how it uncovers a great news that has come to us in Jesus Christ. And so as we open up our passage today, we read those very first words that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Jesus literally goes into his hometown, the place where he grew up with the people that know him, that know his parents, that know his siblings, that know his childhood and his upbringing, his rearing. They know the the apprenticeship that he would have had with his father in carpentry and woodworking. They would have seen the son that he was. Mind you, a good son because he couldn't sin. Can you imagine being Jesus' sibling? But they knew him. They knew him. And you would think that among the people that knew him best that they would accept him the most. They're the ones that grew up with him. They saw everything. They watched over him as he played in the streets. The very friends that he went to Hebrew school with as they played in the courtyards. And yet he experienced his greatest rejection in his hometown to the ones that he felt closest to. The rejection comments made in verse 22 when they said, Is this not Joseph's son? How can he speak about such matters? Or in verse 24, and they said, And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Acknowledging that the very people that he had come to did not want him there. Or in verse 28 and 29, And when they heard these things, All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down it. I mean, I've been rejected. But never to the point that somebody wanted to bring me to the top of a cliff and throw me overboard. Or at least I hope nobody's wanted to reject me that much. But that is the rejection that Jesus faced among people that he called his own. Those that he grew up with. And the reality for Jesus just so happens to be the reality for us when we all face rejection. 
when we've already had those experiences in our lives in the midst of those that we might care about and love that might know us, reject us. And it happens at varying levels, and yet, nonetheless, we still feel the assurance of their rejection. But I want to start with our assurance that even though the world may reject us, it is impossible for Jesus to do so. In the midst of being in our hometown among people we love and care about, the ones that we want so desperately to accept us, even in their rejection, Jesus will not reject us. John 6, 37, a passage that has become so tender and sweet to my own soul, says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I want us to start there to remember that as we walk through the rest of this passage, that there is one who will never cast us out, who will never reject us. There is nothing in me and there is nothing in you that could ever get Jesus to reject you. As long as you come to him, Jesus will not, nor in his heart could not, reject you. Even when the world around us says no, has turned away, shot us down, and shoved us into the mud, Jesus is right there, not rejecting you, but willingly and fully embracing you in the midst of your rejection. This truth has been of great comfort to me. In truth, even as I have felt rejection toward myself, I remember that Jesus will never cast me out, nor will he ever reject me a million times over he accepts me when nobody else will. And so we've come to the hometown of Jesus. And we've seen how those in his own town have rejected him. But the question we need to begin to ask and unpack is, why was Jesus rejected? As we look at the text again, it says, as was his custom, meaning he regularly did this whenever he would go into a town. He would go to the synagogue on Sabbath day, and then he would stand up to read. That was regular for him. It was the customary practice by which Jesus would go into cities and proclaim the good news. And as he stepped into his hometown and went into synagogue on the Sabbath day, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and it was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. 
Because as customary practice, after one read from the scroll, then they would give a sermon on what it was that they had read. They would preach on that passage. And so all the eyes turned to him. They were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Quite simply, the text is telling us they are rejecting Jesus for his teaching. They are rejecting him for the passage that he read and the preaching that he did. And so they reject Jesus in the synagogue. Even though he was invited, he must have been invited in order to read. They must have heard the things that he was doing. They even said it themselves that we know of the things you are doing in Capernaum. Come and do them here among your own. And so they knew who he was. They knew what he was doing. And yet they invited him into the synagogue to hear his message only to reject him. But it was the passage that he read that made such an impact. It's from Isaiah 61, a prophetic passage about the coming Messiah, the one that everyone would have recognized as a passage proclaiming about the one that would come and save them. And so Jesus reads the passage with an authority unlike they have ever heard in synagogue before. And he says to them that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One of the things we have to recognize in that is that whenever we see a word used multiple times, it's probably significant. Proclaim is used three times in this Isaiah passage. But it's two different words in the Greek. And I think that's significant for us to recognize. Because the first word is one that should sound familiar to us. It's the Greek word euangelizo. Which, if we said it in English, would mean to evangelize. To evangelize. And evangelize simply means one thing, to preach the good news. And that is what Jesus did. He came that he would proclaim good news to the poor. But I don't want us to miss the understanding for us in this passage, what it means to evangelize. Because oftentimes I think that we think that we are evangelizing when quite simply we're missing the fact that to evangelize means to tell the good news, to proclaim the good news. And we can't tell good news if we aren't talking about Jesus. And we aren't talking about his work that he did for us on our behalf. And this is significant because I want us to understand that Jesus was rejected for proclaiming the good news. And so we must also acknowledge that we are going to be rejected for proclaiming the good news. 
Jesus even said it in John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you because of me. We have to understand that when we share the good news of Jesus, we need to count on being rejected. We need to prepare that rejection will be a part of our story. Rejection comes in all shapes and sizes and forms, but when we proclaim the good news of Jesus, there will be those that turn against us, that reject us, but it should not dissuade us from keeping on doing it because it did not dissuade Jesus from continuing to do it. That's one of the ways in which I want us to see rejection this morning, particularly when it comes to evangelizing. You're going to be rejected. I remember the first time that I was rejected after I came to know Jesus. It didn't feel good. In fact, the very first person that I wanted to tell Jesus to rejected me. That was not a good feeling. I was, I was on this spiritual cloud. Like I was like, Jesus is the greatest. I want to share the name of Jesus with everyone that I meet. I want to share the name of Jesus with my best friend that at that time, man, he, he needed Jesus. Just as much as I needed Jesus in that moment that he came to me and pulled me up. And when I told him about Jesus, all he said is, I don't need him. I don't want him. I'm not going to church. I'm not experiencing that for myself. That hurt. That was a rejection. But by the grace of God, it, it didn't stop me. It very easily could have. It very easily could have dissuaded me from wanting to share that good news ever again. But I knew, I knew that what I had received was good and what, it, what I had received was real. And I was looking for somebody else to receive that too. So if anything, in hearing this passage today, if there's one thing that I want you to walk away with, it's, it's knowing that in your sharing of the gospel, which each of us has been called to do, you're going to experience rejection, but it's okay, Jesus did too. Jesus was rejected too when he proclaimed the good news. And so you can be rejected as well, and it's okay. But I also want us to notice that who is he proclaiming the good news to? He's proclaiming it to the poor. You see, Luke was very concerned about those that were literally socioeconomically poor. But he was also very concerned about those that lacked a spiritual poverty or that had a spiritual poverty. We have to remember that the good news is for those that have not heard it before. I think we are really good as Christians in the church wanting to share the good news of Jesus with fellow believers, what God has been doing in our lives. But if we are not going to those that have not heard, then we are not proclaiming good news. Good news goes to the poor. It goes to those that have a spiritual lack, a spiritual poverty. And how do we recognize those that are having a spiritual poverty? Well, Jesus goes on in that passage in Isaiah. The second word for proclaim is the word caruso, 
which means to preach, or more specifically, to proclaim as a herald. The word herald might be a foreign word to you, but a herald is one that brings a message on behalf of another. Usually, heralds are found in the service to a king. And so to preach is to proclaim a message that you are delivering on behalf of another. That another, that person that Jesus is proclaiming this news to is the message from his Father who is in heaven. He told us many times that he only does and says what he sees the Father say and do in heaven. And so what is this message that he came to proclaim from the Father? It's a message of setting liberty to the captives, giving sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed. And so we recognize that Jesus is proclaiming this good news. And what the good news offers, and how we recognize those that are poor in spirit, it is those that are captivated by their sinfulness that are in bondage to the sin of the world and that which oppresses them in their sin, in their daily life, keeping them from doing the good works that the Lord has set before them. It's those who cannot even see that sin is in their life. A spiritual blindness that prevents them from seeing how sin has so deeply affected them. But here's the thing, this is a radical proclamation for Jesus to be making, especially when he's already established himself to fulfill this passage in their preaching today, in his preaching today. It's radical because this is to a people who are looking to receive a Messiah that is coming with a sword. One that they think that is going to release them from their captivity from the Romans. But Jesus did not come in that manner. He came for a different purpose. He came to preach and to proclaim with a sword, but the sword of the word of God. People will reject you as you bring the good news. But oftentimes it's because what that good news brings. It's not going to come the way people think it should isn't going to come as violent for those that are looking for violence. Although many might think in today's age that we should be more violent, hostile, aggravated, frustrated. And there are going to be those that think it's going to come universally, but it isn't. Even though a lot of people today want it to be universal. The gospel is both radical but also gentle, inclusive, and yet exclusive. Those are the things in which people will reject you when you share this good news, when you try to tell them that they're in sin, but there is one who came to free you from it. If we put it, what I said earlier in context from John chapter 6, it says this, oh sorry, I'm moving too far ahead of myself. The last thing that we see that causes people to reject Jesus is this. He says, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath 
in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And then there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. This is what Jesus meant when he said this, because they would have understood the two people that Elijah and Elisha were sent to were Gentiles. They would have heard what Jesus said and realized that Jesus is saying, you are Jewish, and yet I am not coming for you alone. I also came for the Gentile. That is radical to the Jewish thought of who the Messiah was. He wasn't coming just for the Jewish contingent. He was also coming that Gentiles would be included in God's plan for salvation. But they couldn't receive this because the Jews were God's chosen people. How could the Messiah come to proclaim good news to anyone but them? In the same manner, let us remember that the good news was for the poor in spirit. That applies to all people. There is nobody that is outside of the possibility of receiving the good news of Jesus. Though our hearts might tell us otherwise. I also want to recognize how in hearing of that, how we have been received because of this radical shift. That in, when Jesus told the Jews in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth that, it, that he came also for the Gentiles, that that radical shift was for us. Jesus was rejected by his own people for you and for me. And so when we face rejection, Know that Jesus was first rejected for the faith because we could not even have access to it if it were not for him. If Jesus did not risk rejection, we would not be where we are. And so how encouraging is it to us that when we face rejection, we face it knowing that our Savior was rejected for us. And that in being rejected for us, we in our rejection can have assurance that we are in fact accepted by Him. So here's the thing. Each and every one of us has faced rejection. And more than likely, we are going to continue to face rejection. That's the way of the world. Sadly, we reject one another. We do it all the time. I have rejected many, and you have rejected many, and each of us has been rejected by many. But here's the challenge that I want us to think about today. It's this simple question. What am I being rejected for? Because truthfully... Each of us has been rejected, but some of us, well, all of us, have been rejected at times because of our negative attitudes, because of our prideful inclinations, because of our overriding preferences. We have been rejected because we were not Christ-like to others. In fact, 
we were rejected because of the sin in our own lives, leaking out and spilling out and pouring onto the people around us. In those instances, we must rightly evaluate what sin in our lives might be causing us to be rejected by others. And then we should do something about it. In fact, when I read John 6 earlier about how we would be rejected because he was rejected, the beginning of that passage, though, says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What Jesus is really saying in those words is, yes, you will never be cast out if you come to me. But you need to remember that in your sinfulness, you can come to me as you are, but you cannot leave from me unchanged and untransformed. Because when we partake in him as the bread of life and in him as the living water, we want to be different. We long to be different. We long for his acceptance in the midst of the world's rejection. He accepts us in the most deepest of our besetting sins. So when we are rejected because of his sinfulness, we remember that God shows his love to us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we allow him in his kindness to change and transform who we are. But back to that question, what am I being rejected for? And so if we ask that question, and it is because we are rejected for good things, as 1 Peter 2.12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. There is no doubt that each and every one of us will be rejected. But when we are rejected, let us go as Peter reminds us that our rejection should be because we were emissaries for Jesus to those around us. That we were simply trying to fill, fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave each and every one of us in spreading the good news of him to others. And so when people come to reject you, let them reject you so that their accusation against you will not stand. But in the day of Jesus returning, they will proclaim he is Lord and that he would be worshipped and glorified. And so if we must be rejected, church, let us be rejected because we made Jesus the name above every name on our lips and that we shared good news with our neighbors. We preached release to sinners. We opened the eyes of the blind, and we desired for his kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we are reminded that you have been rejected, and so have we. But Lord, let us know that as we are rejected, let us be rejected for your name and your name alone. And God, as we receive rejection in the midst of our sinful nature, God, that you would bring correction to us through your sweet, tender heart as you never cast us out, but accept us as we are to be transformed into the image of you daily. In Christ's name we pray.